Well, hello there, and it's a real privilege to once again bring God's Word to you today. As you know, we've been dipping into our series on Mark and also on the fruits of the Spirit. And today we're back in Mark and we're into the nitty gritty stage of chapter 14. As you probably know, I like to bring a lot of cliches and metaphors into my conversations. And um, on at least one of the previous messages that I've brought to you, I've used the phrase, the rubber has hit the road. Well, today, we're getting towards the end of this adventure, and on the face of it, it would appear that our car has ground to a standstill, and three of the tyres have been slashed, and look forward for nothing better than a trip to the tip. Of course, most of us already know the final result. We already know that Jesus is in control of all of this and that our broken down car can be fixed and put back on the road. I've titled my message today, Triple B. And my goal is that after you've listened to this, you'll be able to look after those tyres a little bit better and help keep you on the road. So, Father God, I just thank you for your word. Lord, I just ask that through this message today, we would just help us, Lord, to look after ourselves and keep close to you, Lord. Keep those tyres safe and close to you on that road in Jesus' name. Amen. So, what do I mean by triple B? Well, as mostly guys also know, um, I like my food and drink and um, I've nicked this um, title from the internet because there's a place in Manchester called Triple B and apparently this place specialises in the sale of bagels, burgers and beer. Well we're not talking about that today but my Triple B refers to the triple betrayal of Jesus by the following a betrayal by Judas, a betrayal by the disciples, and a betrayal by Peter. Before we look at our first betrayer, let's just set the scene here. Jesus and the disciples, they finished the, the Passover meal, and in verse 26, we read that they're on the way off up to the Mount of Olives. Oh, there's a lot of discussion here, and Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in verse 33, we learn that he took the big three, Peter, James and John, with him, asking them to keep watch with him. But they're pretty tired, and they fall asleep. The old expression that's in the Bible, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So whilst Jesus knew this and knew what was going to happen, he still cried out to the father for the cup to be taken away from him. And he also wanted God's will to be done and not his own. And it's at this opportunity, this moment now, when everything kicks off. 
So let's look at our first betrayer, and this is Judas. And we'll pick up the story again. If you read in the Bibles, it's Mark 14, and it's verses 43 to 49. I'm reading this from the NLT, but your versions will probably look something similar to this. And immediately, even as Jesus had said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with the swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests, the leading the teachers of the religious law, and the elders. The traitor, Judas, had given them a pre-arranged -sig pre signal. You will know the one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Then you can take him away under guard. And as soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus. Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him the kiss. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Jesus asked them, Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you are coming with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there among you teaching every day, but these things are happening to fulfill what the scriptures say about me. As I said earlier, this was no surprise to Jesus. In verse 42, the previous verse, he'd said, Rise, let's be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. At this point, let's remind ourselves of the relationship that Judas had had with Jesus. His relationship. He was a student and a teacher. They were friends. Effectively, they were brothers who lived and travelled together for three or so years. Judas had been sleeping at the same place that Jesus slept, and he'd ate the same as what Jesus had been eating. And he saw Jesus perform the same miracles as the other 11 disciples also saw. So, all in all, Jesus and Judas, they weren't just acquaintances, they were good mates. Just imagine spending all that time with Jesus and receiving his friendship and love, only to decide to grass him up like he did. This is a sad and sick scene here, isn't it? Judas, the light-fingered and heavily cash-motivated treasurer rocks up and he plants a fake kiss on Jesus. This couldn't have been something he did on, on imp impulse, was it? could it really? He must have been deliberately thinking about this and what a deliberate and callous choice he's made to do this. Love had been betrayed. 
Jesus, of course, is ready for this, and he already knows the full consequences, but at that time, nobody else does. Nobody else knows that the high priests are looking to frame him, to get him out of the way, and to have him executed. And of course, they don't do this in broad daylight, because otherwise, there's a good possibility there could be a riot amongst the Jesus followers. So they rely on Judas, picking him out in a crowd in the dark, and the trap had been sprung shut. Well, what happened to Judas after this? Although he'd bagged the 30 pieces of silver for his wicked deeds, I mean, to me, this is a bit like selling the crown jewels on eBay or worse than still, selling my season ticket at a car boot sale. We're told in Matthew 27, verses 3 to 8, that when Judas realised what he'd done and that Jesus had been condemned to die, he gave back the money. He gave back the 30 pieces of silver to the priests and the elders and he hung himself. Oh, the poor old priests, they didn't know what to do with it. So actually, they bought a field and used it as a kind of a cemetery. And it's known today as the field of blood. So with the disciples now a man down, Judas gets a further mention in Acts verses 12 through, <clears throat> sorry, in Acts 1 verses 12 through to 26 and in this rather lengthy section uh, I'll paraphrase it into two main points which were the, the gathering of the band of followers to pray for the gift the coming gift of the Holy Spirit and also the need to find a replacement for Judas and that turned out to be Matthias and there was also a further mention in here regarding Judas and the field of blood. How are we doing so far? Okay, good. Did you notice that there was an immediate thrown in at the start of verse 43? Well, when Marky Andrews kicked off the Mark series with us back in January this year, he highlighted the fact that Mark liked to throw the word immediately into his gospel. And here we had yet another example. Judas had made up his mind and he just wanted to get on with it. Should we be shocked about the way the Son of Man was manhandled in this arrest? I would have been out of it, but he didn't resist. This was completely in God's plan. As Matthew tells us in chapter 20 and verses 18 to 19, Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed into the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. They will sentence him to die. Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip and crucified. But on the third day, he will, raise, he will be raised from the dead. Hallelujah. Also, Isaiah in Isaiah 53 verse 7 
he'd prophesied that Jesus would go willingly as the lamb to the slaughter. So let's remember Jesus' declaration in the Garden of Gethsemane when he warned God's when he warned us he's, and he said God's will be done and not his own. So then at that stage, this is where Peter decides to get into the action. We're going to be looking at again at Peter shortly. But having boasted his loyalty earlier, he elects, he's the guy that starts swinging the, the sword at the priests, at the high priest, completely misses him and instead cuts off his servant's ear. Whatever his motivation for doing this, clearly he had not understand that Jesus had to die for the sins of everyone, and that included himself. And there you have our first triple B. The burst of the tyres in the car appeared to be punctured. What could be learned from this here and now? Maybe, just maybe, we, we need to be aware of the lure and danger of money becoming our motivation even though we might have been traveling with Jesus here and now for many years probably for more than three years that that Judas had been with him how subtly can Satan be working in the background of our lives and look how easily it was for Judas to betray Jesus for a measly 30 silver coins How easily could Satan tempt you to a great sin for such a small reward? And what can we do to prevent this? Jesus remained faithful to God when others failed. Going back to Judas, he could have still redeemed himself despite all his exploits. Even after what he'd done, he could still have gained salvation, no matter how undeserved we would think, or presumably the disciples, about that. But instead of confessing his sins and being forgiven, he chose to deal with matters himself. And he therefore decided there was no way out for him after what he'd done, and he ended his own life. I guess he must have just questioned how God could ever forgive him for betraying his son that would ultimately end with him being crucified at the cross. Okay, let's go on to our second B, our second triple B even, the disciples. And I'm going to read again on from Mark 14 and verses 50 to 52. Then all his disciples deserted him and ran away. One young man following behind was clothed only in a long linen shirt. When the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out the shirt and ran away naked. Now, as I was preparing this message, my initial thoughts were that at the first sign of anything bad, the disciples are off. They've legged it. They've gone. On reflection, maybe I was being a bit harsh on them. 
What do you think? After all, this is the first most devastating and ter terrifying thing that's ever happened to them. Previously, Jesus had always come through. He'd always calm the storm. He'd always be healing the sick. He'd always be bringing people back to life. But this time he just gets arrested. Could you just imagine the, the police bursting in, but the police bursting into one of our meetings at church in full right gear and marching out the elders? How would we feel? What would we do? Would we scatter just like the disciples did? Now, Jesus had prophesied this to the disciples in Mark 14, verse 27, when we read. All of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, the scriptures say, and this was a lift from Zechariah 13, verse 7. God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And boy, was he right. Also, we've gone here from one of you will betray me to all of you will betray, will desert me. But how about the reassurance that Jesus gives in verse 28 of Mark 14? Have a look at this one. When we're told, but after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Although the disciples failed the test a few hours later, what Jesus said to them kept them going. Today, this is still memorable and very encouraging to us as we focus ahead to Jesus, whatever the circumstances. Admittedly, it's a lot easier for us to understand all this lot than it was for the disciples in those days when they were on the run and didn't have down their written instructions, the Bible, to help them on their way. Although we don't have an immediate in these verses, there could have easily been one in there. This is very much a here and now. One of his team members is in such a a rush to get away that he ends up in his birthday suit. There's some evidence to suggest that the Last Supper may have been held in Mark's home and that he was the one who rushed out in his linen sleeping club and heard the ruckus in Gethsemane. Well, let's face it, if I was writing a gospel, I don't think I'd want my name put on that kind of thing. But obviously he feels it's important enough to, to leave it in there anyway. Although the disciples ran away, their real failure wasn't the running away. It was understanding and trusting Jesus, despite all his warnings and encouragements. Later in the book of Acts. We learn that Mark, in particular, was well used to running away from danger and from hardship. As a trainee, minute, try that again. As a trainee missionary, he told in Acts thirteen verse thirteen, and also again in Acts fifteen 
37 to 39, that he had failed his probationary period. Even though Paul and Barnabas didn't agree on whether he would be any use in the cause of the gospel, the Lord knew he would make use of Mark as a writer rather than a pioneering missionary. And so there you have our triple B. The second of our car tires is apparently left in shreds. At least after the resurrection, we see some evidence that the disciples have come to their senses and rather than trying to deal with matters themselves, have subsequently confessed their failures to the Lord. Applying this to our lives today can sometimes feel easier said than done. Failure to trust in Jesus, even when the going starts to get tough, is an understandable reaction, like the disciples in those days. But try to stay in there and don't be too proud to ask for prayer. Let's face it, with Jesus, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Okay then, on to our third and final betrayer in the triple B. Yes, it's Peter. In chapter 14, Mark gives us a Peter sandwich. We'd read in verses 27 to 28 that all of the disciples would desert Jesus. But Peter was having nothing of this. And we pick up the story again in verse 29. And in verse 29, we read, Peter said to him, even if anyone else, even if anyone else deserts you, I never will. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter declared emphatically. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others bowed the same. Pessimism and optimism between themselves can be a, a, re a recipe for disaster. If it's in your own strength, if it's rooted in God, great. It's secure and it's right. Just remember Proverbs 27 verse 1. Don't brag about tomorrow since you don't know what the day will bring. It's also reminding me of James 4 verses 13 to 17. Look here. You who say today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. I like this bit. Your life is like the morning fog. It's here for a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or do that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans. 
and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then do not do it. Good stuff there. So here, Peter proves that point with a double whammy. Not only does Peter contradict Jesus, but he also boasts in his own ability to stay true. In fairness to Peter, he was not alone because we'd read in verse 31 that all the others have vowed the same. So where is your confidence? Is it in Jesus or is it in yourself? Sadly, the proud heart like Peter had that night can still be in evidence today in us as believers. But let's face it, unless we are prepared to stay close to Jesus and fully utilise his grace and power, we can do nothing. Let's remember John 15, verse 5. And here we read, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Our best intentions may produce our worst moments if we're not in line with the will of God and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Peter's mistake can easily be ours. The fact that God accepts all of us, no matter how bad a job we've done, is great news for Peter and it's great news for us. His earlier boasting had not prevented him from falling asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane when he should have been praying. Like the other disciples, he abandons Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and runs away. But unlike the others, he changes tack and follows the soldiers as far as the inner courtyard. He was determined to try to fulfil his pledge to his master on the night when Jesus needed him most. But as we get to the second layer of bread making up the pizza sandwich, Peter's resolve has again started to crumble. And we pick up the story again in verse 66. Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself by the fire. She looked at him closely and said, you were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. It's always struggle that one. Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And he went. He went out into the entry. Just then, a rooster crowed. Had to bring that one in. When the servant girl saw him standing there, he began telling the others, this man is definitely one of them, but Peter denied it again. So that's two. 
A little later, some other bystanders confronted Peter and said, You must be one of them, because you are a Galilean. Peter swore, A curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. <coughs> Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he broke down and wept. Yes, there was another immediately in there, closely followed by suddenly. So, a double whammy underlined <laughs> urgency there. Wow. And who remembers that old, song, that old song, Big Boys Don't Cry? I won't sing that one for you. Well, this story proved that that was wrong. Peter's gutted. He's crestfallen. It was like a sword to his heart. All in all, Peter's made a real dog's breakfast of this. But unlike Judas, the evidence we read after the resurrection suggests that he becomes, suggests that he believes that God accepts everyone. And even though his antics here had cursed himself in the same fate as Judas, he refuses to believe this. And he refuses to believe that this is the end of the road. I guess his thinking was, if God accepts lepers, prostitutes and tax collectors, there must have been hope for a failure like him. Peter had not deserved his salvation, but how could he be undeserved for it? It couldn't get much worse than this. So Peter knew that he'd turned the corner. And as Peter believed that God accepted everyone, he went on to become the leader of a band of apostles. Let's just think of some of the things that happened under Peter. He would see 3,000 people saved through a single sermon. He would see sick people healed when his shadow fell upon them. He'd see a dead woman raised at his command. He'd preach the gospel across the royal empire and would eventually be crucified himself upside down as a witness to his Lord. What a good recovery. So there you have our third and final triple B. The third of our car tyres apparently left for the tip. Peter has seen the error of his ways and God has repaired all of those, all of those situations. I don't know what's happening in your life right now, but God does. I don't know what setbacks, failures and disappointments you're facing. But I do know this. Anyone is always accepted by God if they fix their eyes on the perfection of Jesus rather, on, rather than on their own imperfections. The blood of Jesus is enough to restore anyone 
including you and me. I think some of the matters that you might need prayer for, and I suggest that maybe you raise this at life group or at another meeting with with members from the church. Things like, although we might be feeling that we're enjoying our ride with Jesus here and now, how dangerous is it is to accept that small reward, those 30 measly pieces of silver to go away from him and how we can prevent that. How do we keep trusting God even when the going gets tough? And where is your confidence? Is it in Jesus or is it in yourself? And there was lots of prophecy there where people are waiting for words for it to happen. And you may be in that situation yourself where you've had a prophetic word and you're waiting for it to happen. Well, let's pray. Let's pray to God that that comes to fulfillment at the right time in his perfect time.